Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Um, welcome, everybody, to City Beautiful Church. Uh, my name is Ryan. Um, if you don't know me, if you do, it's still Ryan. Uh, I do not have a conditional personality. It's the same always. Um, so today is our Vision Sunday, and we, you know, um, Greg was talking about how we, you know, everybody who's kind of involved in, in our gatherings uh, come together before we start, before we worship, when we pray, and we kind of create space for the Lord to speak if we feel like that's... Um, you know, if, if he has anything extra he wants to say. And um, one of the things I was reflecting on this morning is how sweet it is of the Lord that over the past several years, the way that our community has come to do this season, um, you know, we take Advent Christmas very seriously. So kind of the first Sunday for us isn't necessarily like, okay, 2020, let's go. But it's like, let's finish out the Christmas story and let's continue to, uh, to sit in that. To what we were doing, especially this past year, was looking at the baby Jesus through the eyes of all of the supporting characters. What were they seeing in Jesus and how does that help us as we're approaching him? Um, and then last Sunday was what we affectionately call Washer Sunday, where we're each asking the Lord to give us personal vision for what our intimacy with him is going to look like in 2020. Um, many of you had an opportunity to kind of, if you, you got that word or phrase from the Lord, to hammer it into a little washer in the back. If you didn't get a chance to do that, that's going to be set up today, so you can do that after our gathering. Um, and that's just a really great time for us to cast that vision. We talked about last week, especially, there's a difference between vision and resolutions, Resolution is something like, I want this and I want to accomplish that in my year and here's how I'm going to do it. And it's something that wells up from within you and that's great. But when we're talking about vision, we're coming to the Lord and saying, okay, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? Where do you want to take me this year? And I want to kind of have that framed for me that a lot of times when it comes to vision from the Lord, we don't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. It's maybe not measurable in the ways we think. If you want to lose 30 pounds in 2020, um, that is measurable, right? You can kind of judge whether or not that resolution's coming true. But a lot of times the vision the Lord gives us, I think mostly as I've talked to many of you, it's like we get to the end of the year and we're like, this came true, but in ways that I never thought possible. And I love that, that I think the, the promised land, if we kind of use that Old Testament imagery of God leading the Israelites out of slavery into freedom, out of Egypt into the promised land, it has less to do with how you would measure land and borders and boundaries and expectations. It has more to do with a deep understanding of who God is and who he's crafted us to be. Um, and so often we're surprised and delighted by the way that the Lord leads us through the vision that he gives us. So that was last week. And then this week, we're talking about the vision that God has for us as a community in 2020. Um, when we do vision here, I'm really excited by the way that we started to do it in the past couple of years. You know, a lot of times when we think of vision in church, it's someone like me who's the pastor and I have to be like Moses and go up on the mountain for 40 days and nights and, and fast on your behalf and then come down and hand you a stone and say, okay, let's go and let's get it. And you have to go, yes, I, captain, let's do it. 
and it's all on, it's all on me. And that's a very Old Testament way of thinking about vision. When we look at how uh, the early church, the first followers of Jesus were kind of gathering around this, the, the word, gathering around the Holy Spirit. Some of those letters that Paul's writing to those early churches, he's saying, you all have these gifts. You're all capable of hearing the Lord. And your job is to encourage each other in that process, that listening to God is the most important thing that you can do. And so the past couple of years, what we've done is to come together as a leadership team with our elders, with some of our ministry leads and some other people, and we worship and we just spend some time in prayer and say, God, what are you doing in our community right now? And where is it that you want to take us next? And then my role is less to be the guy who goes up on top of the mountain to get it on behalf of everybody, but I kind of synthesize what everybody's saying. And it was so sweet. This past October, we had this opportunity. We worshiped, we, we, we prayed, we all came together. And it was almost like it was this thread was being woven through the leadership of our community. One person would say, well, I kind of felt like the Lord said this. And someone would say, that, you know, that makes me think of this thing. And someone else would say, well, I actually got an image. that, And it just kind of bounced through the room and it just wove together really beautifully this vision that we have for this year. Um, which I'm going to share in one second. Are you, you're like on the edge of your seats. I can tell you're so excited. You can't wait. It's going to be great. So, um, you know, we have these primary values in our community. When you came in, you saw these little icons on the wall that, that kind of uh, demonstrate our values. And our three primary values are intimacy and identity and purpose. That we believe that it's through intimacy with God that we begin to cultivate our identity in Christ and then we live into our purpose as the Spirit-led church. And last year was very much a year devoted to intimacy. Our vision was together with one heart and mind, drawing close to God. And so it's the idea that when we pursue God together, when we pursue intimacy with Him, it begins to bind us together as the body of Christ in ways that we maybe wouldn't normally think that we would draw boundaries of who's in and who's out and, and who we like and who we don't like, but we're actually bound by this pursuit together of intimacy with God. And, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot over the past couple of weeks about how that has come to play come to play in our community. And I, and I love that it was a year just devoted to that idea of intimacy. And so it felt very natural that this year we'd be shifting to identity and to purpose, that we've laid this foundation of intimacy with God, our common pursuit of Jesus as the best demonstration of what God is really like. And now we ask, okay, what does that make us? Who do we become when we have this trajectory of pursuing God together? And why do we become that? And so Drum roll, let's get a little. And the vision for 2020 is maturing in Christ for the sake of the world. Yeah! Whoa! I hope that was as climactic as, 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 as it felt. So this is our vision for the year, maturing in Christ for the sake of the world. And so what I want to do today is kind of break down, you can, yeah, it's going to stay up there, uh, break down those three elements uh, uh, that are part of our vision, um, and hopefully that gives us some sense of trajectory for where we're going in 2020. So number one is going to be this idea of maturing, and we were uh, debating, Daniel and I, is it maturing or maturing? <laughs> maturing? I feel like it's more mature to say mature. I don't know. The jury's out. I heard this is like the bane of your existence, Kaylee. Oh my gosh. Maybe we just need to choose a different word. Um, but maturing, 
the, the word itself gives us this sense of movement, of growth, that we are in one place and we go somewhere else. We are one way and we're becoming another. Um, in Christ, in Christ gives us the goal, the direction, the trajectory for our maturity. And then thirdly, for the sake of the world, that it, there's this outward-facing purpose to why we are maturing in the first place. So what we want to do is I want you to take three minutes and I want you to turn to two or three people that are next to you and I want you to try to define that word because I think it's fascinating. What is maturity or maturity, okay? So take three minutes and, and discuss that with one another. You have about one minute left. I begin to kind of wrap up that last thought. So does anyone feel like they've got a good definition that you didn't go to Merriam-Webster? Uh, but anybody, just, just popcorn out some things. What do you think? What is maturity? Awareness of the self, spirit, and others. Okay. Can anybody do better? Wisdom. Someone say pizza? <laughs> what else? Maturity. A journey. What else? Gaining wisdom. Gaining wisdom. Growth. Growth. Oh, there's your timer. Hold on. Demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. Thoughtful response over unthoughtful reaction. Anyone else? Patrick? Uh, 
not trying to control the world around you. Hmm, wise. <laughs> no, that's great. I think you guys are, that, those are all very, uh, very great definitions. Um, through the fall, we, we walked through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And I've uh, kind of talked about how Philippi was this little tiny town kind of in the northern end of the Roman Empire, kind of in the middle of nowhere, not a very well-off community, uh, but it was one that Paul had a lot of affection for. And we walked through his letter and seeing how is he helping this community to, to stick together, to remain faithful to Jesus, and to kind of grow in maturity. And there's a lot of really beautiful elements of that letter that speak to that. A big part of what we were looking at is how do you think like a Christian? Um, so we're going to be honing in on Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. And this is a passage in particular where Paul has been speaking of his own story, where, where he was before he met Jesus, the kind of person he was, the way he was thinking about God and himself and the world, and then that kind of exchange, that, that changeover that happened in his life um, when he met Jesus. And he says, you know, I consider all of it garbage for the sake of knowing him. And we're going to be jumping in in verse 12. So that's the conversation up to this point. And he writes, not that I've already obtained all this. He's talking about kind of obtaining Jesus. He says, I want to know Christ is, is kind of the last thought. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think this is the, the fascinating little element here. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Wouldn't that just be the best thing to throw up on social media when you're in one of your classic debates to go, hmm, let's just, I'm going to pray for you and God's going to make it clear to you. <clears throat> so that's a freebie. You can use that one. Only let us live up to what we have already attained, okay? So I hope you're already picking up on this. There's kind of this engagement with your past, present, future. So join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. I want to break down again our vision for the year into those three pieces and see how does Paul frame the conversation about maturity when it comes to our growth, when it comes to our trajectory, and when it comes to our purpose. And so the first piece is maturity, and this is how Paul phrases it. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So the first thing that we can kind of extract from this passage is that maturity is not something we arrive at, but how we manage the journey. Maturity is not an arrival point, but it's a way in which you hold your journey with God and with others. 
And I love that the way that Paul is speaking of this, he shows us that maturity holds the past loosely. He says, forgetting what is behind. And he doesn't mean forget in the way that you and I would, would maybe think of that because he literally just told his story. So he's not saying, don't remember anything from your past. He's saying, hold loosely your past and the way that you have been defined in your family of origin, in your culture, whatever it is, hold it loosely so that God continues to bring redemption there. Um, but remain committed to the future, that you haven't arrived, that you're not there yet, but you're pressing on, you're straining towards what is ahead. And so maturity is very much about our orientation to time. So a lot of what we're going to talk about this year is how many of us are bound by our pasts. We're enslaved to the past. Whether you literally forget it or you can't stop obsessing about it, your past is affecting who you are today. And so Paul is saying maturity is a way in which you perceive your past, specifically through the lens of Christ. And it's also about how you perceive the future and where you are being taken. And when you are able to do that, maturity firmly anchors you today in the present moment. Because I think for a lot of us, immaturity is where we are allowing our past to affect us adversely today or where we're allowing our future. And a lot of times what I find myself praying, especially when I'm doing spiritual direction with some of you and we're kind of trying to get into the present moment, is that at the feet of Jesus we would lay down all the guilt and the regret of the past and all of the anxiety of the future. Lay that at the feet of Jesus so that we can be in the present moment because those things are stretching us thin through time and we're never able to be fully present here. And that's the key to maturity is how do we remain fully present to the moment now, have the wisdom and discernment to know what we're called to be and what we're called to do. You know, I used to think when I was a kid that being an adult was an arrival. How many of you, you thought that way too? You're like, life as a child is crazy. I can't see past anybody's knees. And adults seem to have things, I mean, probably not true for Ricardo. You were always probably a really tall kid, right? Yeah. So we couldn't see past Ricardo when we were in line. Fortunately, I was an A and you're a B, so I would have been in front of you in line. I was the second shortest kid in my class for like years. And I grew, I grew 12 inches in my eighth grade year. And I got glasses and braces. Very challenging time. But we've all suffered trials and temptations. <laughs> anyway. When I was a kid, I thought, you know, being an adult means you have a handle on life and you just seem to generally kind of know stuff, you know, like how many of you have dads that just kind of know how to do things, you know, and, and you're like, that's what it means. And yes, Greg, you are the exception to this. She's saying no. Oh, okay. Well, in my, you know, in my household, dads just kind of knew how to do stuff. And I thought, you know, someday when I'm a dad, you just kind of know how to do things because being an adult isn't a rival. You, you know who you are. You know how the world works. Contrastingly, being a kid, you don't know who you are and you don't know how the world works. And I was very uh, disappointed when I grew up and found not only was this not the case in my life, but it was not the case in the life of adults. That a lot of times adults don't know who they are and they don't know what they're doing. Which in one way is really nice because you can be a lot kinder to adults because you realize, oh, they're on a journey as well. Uh, but it's also a little bit disappointing to go, well, who actually knows what's really going on around us? Um, after college, I moved up to Nashville not to, to pursue my career as a country artist, um, but to teach high school. And that's why everybody goes to Nashville, right? And I moved in with a friend of mine who actually was a music, musician. She was a traveling musician. She's a wonderful harpist. Um, she had a spare room. 
And I moved in, and the first thing that I had to do when I moved in is she has two cats, and she would clean out their kitty litter box every three weeks, maybe. Um, I'm allergic. So I had, to, I had to vacuum the house, and I, I vacuumed the living room. I had to empty out the vacuum like twice before I could kind of get it done. And, uh, but it's fine, you know, it's a new place and I'm very thankful for it. And she's, she's a great friend, she still is. Um, and, you know, the, for the, the, that early part of us living together, like, you know, every once in a while I'd cook us a meal or we'd have to clean and we'd have to have, you know, the constant debates about dishes and everything. Some of you remember that with roommates. And, and, and one day she, she broke down in tears uh, because we were having one of these conversations about chores and all this stuff. And she said, you know, I thought... Like, whenever I get married, I would just know how to do these things. And I'm realizing by us living together, like, I don't know how to do the dishes. I don't know how to take care of the house. I don't, all of these very basic things, she didn't know how to do them. And she had also, like me, had kind of internalized this idea that you just become an adult. And then you just become a husband or become a wife. And you just kind of know how to do these things. But realizing oh, actually, I need to take the time now to be formed, to be the kind of person when the opportunity comes along, I somehow know what to do. And I think when we think into our spiritual journeys, into our faith, is that not how we often think about what it means to become a Christian? That all of a sudden, you know, you come to know Jesus, you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you're just supposed to exude the fruits of the Spirit. You're just supposed to know what it means to be a Christian. You never have any bad days. And indeed, a lot of us, I think, when we were little, we were given these testimonies. I was a mess, and I was a terrible person and all this, and then I came to know Jesus, and I've just been crushing it ever since, and I just inherently know everything. And we were really sold short in that, because Holy Spirit transformation does not happen automatically or mechanically, okay? You cannot expect to just receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden, and this is why, personally, I don't like the word activate when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about spiritual gifts, because I'm not a machine, I don't, there's no switch that just gets flipped on me, and all of a sudden, I just do these things. But Holy Spirit transformation is a co-laboring with the Holy Spirit to become something. I think what's so dangerous in communities like ours is that we maintain a sense of entitlement when we affirm the gift of the Holy Spirit without any of the responsibility to steward it well. When we claim, because I've been baptized in water, because I've received the Holy Spirit, then just by default, everything that I think, feel, and do is automatically ratified by the Holy Spirit. But to recognize, actually, there is this humility that we need, that we're in process. Yes, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we haven't arrived yet. There's so much work to be done. And I love that that's what Paul's saying is, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived yet. But there's a way in which I'm holding my journey with the Holy Spirit that day by day, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, which brings us to the second part. So in Christ this is what Paul says in Philippians. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that phrase, to take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. We talk about grace. God always makes the first move. It's not through your revelations or your acts, your understanding that you have been saved, but it's because Christ Jesus first took a hold of you. But within that being taken hold of, there's now a call for you to take hold of something within that. 
And at, at, the, at the end of this little passage, he says, by the power that enables him, Jesus, to bring everything under his control. And I love, Patrick, that you brought that up, that maturity is somewhat about learning how to let go of control more and more because it's about recognizing that all things are being taken control of by Christ Jesus. And that will transform our lowly bodies so they become like his glorious body. One of the disciplines that I've entered into the past several years is to pray the serenity prayer. Every morning at 9.30, I have a little, um, you know, a little calendar notification that pops up. And it's a very small and simple prayer. It says, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot control, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And what that's done for me is it sets that trajectory from moment to moment in my day to discern what are the things that I can control and what are the things that I can't. And I think we can actually define immaturity is us trying to control the things that we can't, which is basically trying to control other people, right? We blame other people. It's other people's fault that our lives aren't going this way. And we abdicate responsibility when it comes to the things that we actually can control within ourselves, you know, I talk about it sometimes we're convenient, uh, convenient Calvinists. When everything's going re- great, like we are awesome and we're special and we're, we're doing all this stuff. And then when things aren't going great, we're shaking our fists to the heavens. God, why would you do this? Why would you make me suffer like Job? And we recognize that maybe the things in our lives that we're trying to control and that we're trying to pin on God actually need to be reversed. And I think maturity is learning that discernment. What are the things that I can actually control within my life? And what are the things that I can't control no matter how hard I try? And the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us how we are to manage that. So maturity gives us a vision for who we are becoming. Maturity gives us a vision for who we are becoming. A lot of times today in our contemporary society, in our modern culture, there is no trajectory for who we are to become. Who you are today is who you truly are, and that's where it ends. And there's two cults going on right now in our modern society, the cult of spontaneity and the cult of authenticity. In the cult of spontaneity, the ultimate goal is that I am to be free. Free from what? Free from expectations, free from rules, free from boundaries. And any time that anybody is trying to impose boundaries on me, I have to remove that. I have to get away from that because I need options. And the spontaneity that I can just do whatever I want and go wherever I want to go. And that's the ultimate call for life. That's why marriage feels like it's enslavement. That's why covenant feels like it's awful or it's constricting. Because we've believed this cult of spontaneity, that the ultimate goal is for me to be able to do what I want and to be what I want. And the second cult is the cult of authenticity, that the ultimate goal in life is for me to be true to myself. And so anything that's telling me to go run contrary to being true to myself is inherently wrong or evil. But then the question that the existentialists, the really sad French guys, have been asking us for 100 years is, what do you mean by yourself? What do you mean by yourself? If you're going to be authentic to yourself. Did you know that the primary motivation of of my generation, the millennials, I'm kind of like the older end of it, um, our primary motivation in life is authenticity. So, What the research is showing is that baby boomers' primary pursuit is security. Uh, Being the first generation that grew up post-World War II in the nuclear era, all of this could go away tomorrow. Baby boomers' 
number one thing is security. For us as millennials, it's authenticity. And one of the things that I've noticed in my own life and the life of my friends and other people in our generation is that we're very quick to identify what is inauthentic. We can smell the inauthenticity on things. But when it comes to actually defining what is authentic, we're, we're kind of at a loss for words. We know what's not real, but we have a trouble identifying what is real. And so what happens is that we become a generation that can be very cynical and kind of, kind of throws things off. One of the, I'm very proud of the playlist that we'll have for our next series, and there's a Keith Green song on. Anybody know Keith Green? He's like the original CCM, like uh, Create in Me a Clean Heart. Right? Um, what other? Uh, oh man, he had so many killer songs. It's real cheesy. But <laughs> uh, Keith Green is really cheesy. Um, and I think sometimes millennials need a little bit of cheese. Because we need to break that cynical cycle that goes, oh, that's not authentic, that's not authentic, that's not. And so, well, what is? We're a Teflon generation. Definitions continue to slide off of us, and we call it being authentic. We call it being true to ourselves. But to ask, what do you mean by self? And I think ultimately, whether it's the cult of spontaneity or authenticity, they're very uninteresting ways to live life. That my highest goal is to be free. My highest goal is to be true to myself. And I think Christianity offers us a very unique perspective because it gives us a trajectory for who we are to become as what is truly free and what is truly real and authentic. And that is that we are to become more like Christ. Because now we're talking about something interesting. Now we're talking about virtue and character. And virtue is something that we practice consciously as first nature, working on it until it becomes part of us. It becomes second nature to us. And when, when virtue becomes second nature, I'm talking about faith, hope, love, courage, temperance, prudence, all of these different virtues, they become second nature because we've practiced them. And then in the moments of crisis in our life, we somehow know what we are to do. And it's when we practice the virtues, when we allow ourselves to be formed into the likeness of Christ, that spontaneity through the Holy Spirit is actually possible. That being authentic is possible because we know what authenticity does look like. And we spend less time critiquing what's, what's fake and being more concerned about pursuing what's real. And virtue stands in opposition to vice. Do you know that anybody can learn a vice? It's easy. It's actually very natural for us to learn vices, to be selfish, to make these kinds of decisions in the name of being true to ourselves or whatever that might be, or, or the heaven forbid that we think for ourselves. Oh, there's no such thing as original thought. You're a communal creature. Everything that you believe you've inherited from somewhere. And that's actually a blessing. We try to doctor things and make it look like we're doing that, but we're really just importing new narratives. And a lot of times the vices that we have in our lives are because we're trying to do what comes natural, because we're just coasting on neutral. In his book, After You Believe, by N.T. Wright, he's talking about what happens between your, your baptism and your funeral. What do you do with that time? Do you just twiddle your thumbs and wait for the afterlife? Or what's happening there? And he says this, Jesus Christ is the truly human being. And if you are in Christ, you're supposed to be truly human. All of our efforts to become better people 
are validated and fulfilled in Jesus. He is the truly human one. Do you want to know what a mature, full, whole human being looks like? You need to look at Jesus. And I think this is the antithesis of the lie of our culture that says that you are a self-made man or a self-made woman. Because what this is saying is you as a person, yourself, is inherently this kind of neutral ground of, of possibility and potential. Who do you want to be? How do you want to define yourself? And then anytime that someone tries to define you, you need to reject that because that's a horror. You get to do it. You are a self-made man. You are a self-made woman. Everything that you have, everything you earn is because of, of the grit that you have and the determination and all of this stuff. And it doesn't work. It's a lie. You are not a neutral thing waiting to be defined by whatever your desires are. You are the image of God. You are his sons and his daughters. And so life becomes less about trying to define yourself and more trying to uncover what does it mean to live into the, the person that I was created to be. And I think this is one of the most profound elements of the Christian faith. We have a definition already. We have already been defined. We are not self-made men and women. We are God-made men and women. And our journey does not become about defining ourselves. It becomes about uncovering what has always been true, but we didn't always believe it. And that brings us to the third part of our vision for the year, for the sake of the world. Paul says this in verse 17, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is a very bold statement. And I think it beautifully balances out this other statement from Paul where he says, not that I've already attained all this. So Paul has a sense of humility, but it's not a sense of false humility that goes, oh, shucks, don't look at me like I'm no good, I'm powerless. He says, no, not that I've already attained all this, but I have this perspective of where I'm heading, how I hold my past, how I'm present in this moment. And yes, you should look to me as your example. That is a very bold statement that can only come out of true humility meeting true authority. And so maturity liberates us to partner with God to reveal his kingdom by living for others. We stop being selfish when we mature. You want to, I think it's maybe one of the easiest gauges of an immature person and a mature person is are you selfish? Are you living for yourself? And we have this beautiful balance. I was, uh, Jackie and I were talking about this earlier uh, this week. We have this beautiful balance in that greatest commandment from Jesus that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. It's kind of this triumvirate, loving God, loving self, loving others. And I think the invitation there is, are we maintaining balance? Because sometimes we can love other people at our own expense, but a lot of times we can love ourselves at the expense of other people. And a mature person maintains the balance in what love looks like between God, self, and others. When I began teaching high school in Nashville, I would, uh, I would eat lunch with this uh, group of other teachers, these kind of older ladies, and it was my 25th birthday, and they're teasing me, and they're like, oh, you're 25, and the next minute you know you're 40, and I just kind of was freaked out by that. Like, really? Is that how this is going to be? And uh, my, uh, my teaching mentor, she was in the room across from me. She's amazing. She's like a kind of Paula Dean type Southern lady. She says, Ryan, you need to know, it gets better. It gets better. 
And she told me this story about how her and some of her sisters and then her son, who was my age, and and some of his cousins and friends, they were all playing this game. And the question in the game was, would you rather be the age you are currently or like 10 or 20 years on either side? And she said everybody her son's age, my age, about 25, was astounded that all these women in their 50s and 60s said, I would rather be the age that I am now than at any point in my life. And I said, why is it? She said, when you grow up, you just stop caring what other people think about you and you actually start loving other people. You grow into a family. You become more concerned about your children, about your friends, about your family, and you stop doing that selfish thing where you're living for yourself. And I thought, maybe it's not so bad to grow up. Maybe it's not so bad to become mature. Because we have to believe that that's what we're actually created for. We are freest when we are released from this self-conscious anxiety that we live in when we're young and immature and we think everything's about us and we've got to do all this stuff. And when we begin to let go of that, we start to live for the sake of other people. Christianity is not a private religion. We don't get to say Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal opinion. We don't get to say, oh, well, there's different paths up the same mountain and you do you and I'll do me. That's very immature thinking. In Christianity, when we are formed into the likeness of Christ, it is for the sake of the world that we become a light shining in the darkness, pointing other people home to God. And when we understand that, then we begin to align. When we say, I have this trajectory, I know that I am to become more like Jesus, and I know that it's for the sake of the world, for those around me, then when we reframe what self-care and soul training are, we know it's for a purpose. I know that I am to love myself well for the sake of being able to turn up for other people. If you practice self-care and you can't love people on the other side of it, you're just massaging your ego. But if you're doing good self-care, if you're loving yourself well, you should become the kind of person who's a little bit more generous, a little bit more kind, looks people in the eye a little bit more, loves them better, judges them less. That's how you're going to gauge it, but it's only when you have a trajectory for who you are becoming and knowing why you're growing in the first place. So my challenge to all of you today, are you someone who should be looked at as a model for following Jesus? And I think at the beginning of 2020, we all need to ask ourselves that question because I think that is the question that will lead us into maturity. Are you someone who could stand like Paul and say, It's not that I've already arrived, I haven't attained all these things, heaven forbid, but I hold my past in a certain way that it's awaiting redemption. I have a trajectory, I know who I am becoming in Christ Jesus. I'm anchored in this present moment and all of you can look to me to see how it's done. I don't know if I'm confident in answering that question, by the way. When I put that up there, I'm asking myself, am I someone who should be looked at as a model for following Jesus? Well, I don't know. Y'all can tell me afterwards, just kidding email Greg. But are you someone who could say that? And if you're not, it's just a, it's not a place of shame. It's just a gauge of where you're at in your journey. And if you look at that question, you say, I'm not somebody who should be looked at as a model for following Jesus. Then what you need to do is just be like the Philippians and look for somebody who is. Find somebody in this community, in your family, among your friends to say, that's what it looks like. Because when we encounter mature believers, mature followers in Jesus, we don't question whether or not the attributes that they hold, the virtues that they just naturally exude are good or not. We just wish there were more people like that in the world. 
But the amazing thing is, you get to become one of those people. That's the, that's the trajectory of your life. That's what you were made for. I love in The Return of the Prodigal Son, Henry Nouwen says, at, all, at some point, all sons returning home have to become the father. And that's the call for all of us, is eventually all of us, we're going to become the father, we're going to become the mother that stands in the doorway and kind of gazes at the horizon waiting for the prodigals to come home. And that's what this year is going to be about. So I want to invite you, um, we're not going to stand just yet, but we're going to take a couple minutes. And I want you to turn to those same people that you were discussing maturity with. And we're just going to pray. We're going to pray for this year, for our community. We're going to pray for us as individuals. And just asking this question, what is the Lord saying to you about where we're headed? And, and note, I'm not saying let's discuss, pray with one another. Lay hands on each other, hold hands, like make this a tactile moment and pray for our uh, community in the next year. Let's take a few minutes and pray.
I wanna invite you to stand with me, please. We're gonna continue on in worship uh, by coming to the table. And I, I, it's such a beautiful symbol for us as the family of God, you know, kind of recognizing in some degree, we're all prodigal sons and daughters. We've wandered, we've tried to be spontaneous, we've tried to be authentic or whatever it might be, uh, but to come home and to sit at our father's table and look him in the eye and just say, who do you say that I am? What do you have to say to me? And that's the beauty of what the Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist is. It's us coming to the table, sitting with our father and saying, you tell me who I am. And I'm gonna trust that who you say I am is far greater than anything that I could define for myself. And it also becomes this act of faith that we come to the table at varying degrees in our journey saying, not that I understand anything or that I've taken hold of anything, but I press on. And this is my sacred act. This is my claim that I'm continuing to pursue Jesus with everything that I am. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite you to the, to the Lord's table, kind of starting in the front rows and moving your way back and we'll continue on in worship. Lord, you have called us out. <laughs> um, and God, if it wasn't for your loving kindness, this would be really intimidating. But God, this is an opportunity for us as a community to really test the merit of who you say you are as a God who is love embodied, who comes to earth in the form of a man to show us what it means to be truly human, who gives us his spirit to lead us, to guide us, to transform us from the inside out. God, may we be a community this year who can embody this idea of maturity that we know where we're headed. We know where we've come from and we know why you're doing this so that we can partner with you to, to be a light in the darkness, to see the world rescued and redeemed and brought back into accord with how you've designed it. So Lord, as we come forward as an act of faith to receive the body and blood of Jesus, I pray for that each one of us, it would be this act of faith that it helps us to step a little further into your kingdom, to be a little bit more formed in your likeness so that when we leave here, we go out taking you wherever we go, rejoicing that you have spoken, that you have defined us, that you have lifted us up and you've given us a vision of who we are to become. We pray these things in the strong and the blessed name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's come to the table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.